Welcome to this week's podcast at Bergen Park Church from Evergreen, Colorado. We hope you enjoy this message, and if you'd like to hear any more or learn more about the church, please visit bergenparkchurch.org. Have you guys ever failed uh, to see something that was hiding in plain sight, something that was just completely obvious, but you missed it for some reason? I think that's probably happened to all of us. Um, I don't know how many times I've been in the grocery store looking for a product I've purchased a thousand times, and I'm staring at this big display of the stuff with arrows pointed right to it, and I, I still don't see it. A couple of years ago, I was hiking down in Golden uh, with a few of my kids. We were on a trail at one of the open space parks down there, and we stopped at one point on the trail to look at some deer that were crossing on the hillside in front of us. And then suddenly, one of my daughters let out a, a cry of terror it turned out my son and I were standing right on top of a rattlesnake that was coiled in the rock right under our feet. I had my foot right on the thing's neck. If snakes actually have a neck, but you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> we jumped about 10 feet in the air, and I learned my lesson to be a little more attentive on the trails uh, when I'm hiking. The thing was hiding in plain sight. I didn't see it. Sometimes we miss the obvious. I've known my wife for... A long time. I've known her since we were 12 years old. We grew up together. I didn't notice her until we were seniors in high school. She didn't notice me until probably our third or fourth date. (laughs) But we've been happily married now for about 20 years. She was hiding in plain sight. I'd missed her that, that whole time. When it comes to spiritual realities, I think there are times we have that same problem, right? We walk around, eyes wide, blind, to the beauty and the majesty of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So as we open the word this morning, we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 1, reading uh, verses 15 through 23. And here the Apostle Paul is really addressing this issue of of opening our eyes a little bit more to the spiritual realities around us. He prays for the Ephesian church. And he prays that God would give them a spirit of wisdom and revelation so that they would know him better. He asks that the Lord would open the eyes of their hearts or enlighten the eyes of their hearts so that they would know him better. So we are going to, uh, we're going to pick up at verse 15 today in Ephesians chapter 1 and read through verse 23. I'm reading from the ESV, that's the same version you'll find in the seats in front of you. For this reason, because I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet, And gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. 
This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. And as the Apostle Paul prayed for the Ephesian Christians, we too pray, Lord, that you would open our eyes this morning, open us to spiritual truth, open our eyes so that we know you better, that we might worship you better. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, I was thinking about this this week. Wouldn't it be nice to have the Apostle Paul pray for you, pray for your church? And as I was thinking about that a little more, it, it did occur to me, too, that we as Christians, any one of us can pray. Any one of us can go before our God and Father, approach the throne of grace with confidence, present our request to him. He hears us. So we don't necessarily need Paul praying for us. We can pray, and the Lord hears us through the Holy Spirit. The fervent prayers of the righteous man availeth much, as we read in James. So whether it's Paul or any Christian praying, the church needs prayer. Okay, The church does need prayer. And I want to look a little closer at what Paul is actually praying for the Ephesian church here in Ephesians chapter 1. So after acknowledging and commending uh, the church for their faith and for their love, the Apostle Paul prays, Two things in particular for the church, starting with verse 17. He prays that God would give the church the, the, the spirit of wisdom, the spirit of revelation so that they might know God, that they would have knowledge of God. So he asked that the Holy Spirit, and, and we're talking about the Holy Spirit here because the, the word spirit here is connected to this idea of revelation and wisdom, so it would be unusual for the word spirit to be used in this context, attached to words like wisdom and revelation, if it were not referring to the, the Holy Spirit of God. So this is the Holy Spirit who is giving wisdom and revelation to the church. Okay, and so what's implied here is that they would know God better. The NIV actually uses that term, that they would know him better. Here it just says knowledge of God. But we know that the Ephesian Christians already had some knowledge of God, right? Paul has just thanked God for their faith, for their love. They clearly knew God already, right? If you go back to the, the section we looked at last Sunday, verses 3 through 14, these were people who had been called by God, predestined before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight, set apart for him. So these were believers. But Paul is asking that they would know God better. So the goal of knowledge as I mentioned last week as well, is ultimately doxology, right? The goal of theology is doxology, that we would worship God, that we would praise our God. So Paul wants the church to know God a little bit better. Now, for example, I, I know my way around my cell phone. I've got my cell phone here. I've had this phone for a couple of years. I'm familiar with this phone. I know how it works but I, I generally spend, well, 90% of the work I do on this phone, it's going to be text messages and phone calls. Now, I know the phone does a lot more than that, but I generally use it for texts, for phone calls. Maybe I'll, every once in a while, check my email or look something up on the internet. But the phone does a lot more than just that. I could use the camera more often. I rarely take photos, but I could use the camera. I could load games onto my phone. I could get a lot more apps, I could organize my calendar on my phone, I could send emails, I could do online banking, I could watch movies and get Netflix and do all that stuff, I could pay bills, I could use my phone as a credit card. I could do a ton of stuff, I could pour my entire life into this device, 
and use it for everything. And at the same time, I don't. I use it for a couple of things. And in a similar way, we can know just enough about God to be content with that limited knowledge. We can be somewhat familiar with God, or we can delve deeper into wisdom and revelation. And that is what Paul is praying for the church, that they would know God better. Now understand that wisdom and revelation go hand in hand in bringing us knowledge of God. Okay, oftentimes in the Bible, especially in the Old Testament, words like wisdom, revelation, understanding, these words were synonymous, they were interchangeable. Okay, uh, in the New Testament, there's a, maybe a little bit more, more nuance here. Now, knowledge, uh, let's think about knowledge for a second. Knowledge tells us maybe that there's a thousand foot drop off in front of us. Wisdom is that thing that keeps us from getting too close, right? Knowledge tells us that the red light in front of us means stop. Wisdom is that thing that tells us kind of when to put the brakes on, to approach with, with caution. And so wisdom and knowledge work together here. And in the Bible, wisdom and knowledge are tied together. And like I said, they're interchangeable. Wisdom is that crucial part of our knowledge of God that takes us to true belief about God. And then it takes us deeper into relationship with God. So Paul's point here is that you can't know God without wisdom, and you can't know God without revelation. Now, revelation is the knowledge of God that God himself gives us. And there are a couple of types of revelation that we see mentioned in Scripture. So if you were to go to Romans chapter 1, for example, the Apostle Paul talks in Romans 1 about something theologians refer to as natural revelation. And the idea there is that you know there's a God simply through his creation. When you look around you at what God has created, the stars and the heavens, the mountains, uh, even the, the human body, human reason, all of these things, when you examine what God has made, it points you to the creator. That's natural revelation. But Paul here in Ephesians 1 is speaking of something more specific. He's talking about special revelation. That's God's word to us through the apostles, through the prophets. It's, it's scripture. So we need to be careful how we talk about revelation here because in, in the book of Ephesians, revelation is often attached to this idea of mystery. Okay, Things that were once hidden but have now been made known in Christ through the apostles. So when the Bible talks about mystery, it's not talking about something that's still hidden. It's talking about something that was hidden and has been now made known in Christ. And we're going to run into this word a few more times in the book of, of Ephesians as we work through the text. In chapter 3, chapter 4, it's mentioned. Uh, revelation essentially refers to the message of the gospel that has been made known in its fullness in Jesus Christ as breathed out by the Spirit. And so the revelation referred to here is specific to the gospel and our knowledge of God through faith in Jesus Christ rooted in what was handed down through the prophets as revealed by the Holy Spirit. Now remember that Paul's prayer for the church is that they would know God, that they would know God, that they would know him better. And this is important because there are three ways, I think, in which the church can go wrong in our knowledge of God if we lack that spirit of wisdom and revelation. Now, we can easily end up, first of all, in theological vagrancy, okay? 
theological vagrancy in which we follow pointless leads down spiritually depleting rabbit trails, things that just don't matter. When we lack the spirit of wisdom and revelation, we can end up being drawn into the wrong things. It happens all the time. We're all susceptible to this at times. In the name of discernment, it's easy to end up following theological conspiracies or nitpicking every word ever spoken by every pastor and Christian author under the sun. And though I do encourage discernment, we need to be discerning, we need to weigh what we hear against God's word when we hear those things. If we're not careful, we can easily end up looking for demons under every rock and behind every tree and we get very good at calling out perceived theological error, and yet we forget how to even articulate theological truth. So we need to be careful. We know what we don't believe, but are we able to articulate what we do believe? Essentially, theological vagrancy makes us forget to delight in Jesus Christ. We get distracted with the wrong things. Tertiary issues and trivialities become elevated to primary importance. That's not the kind of knowledge we're called to. The second way in which the church can go wrong in our knowledge of God, when we lack this uh, spirit of wisdom and revelation, is we can easily get drawn into theological minimalism. I talked about this last week. Theological minimalism. In the name of superficial unity, we fail to care about the right things. We think we don't need all that stuff. We don't need fellowship. We don't need God, we, his word. We don't need all this stuff as long as we love Jesus. We don't need the rest of that relationship. We don't need anything else. We eschew the hard work of theological triage, which allows us to define matters of primary importance. So instead of drinking deeply of the vast well of, of life-giving divine knowledge, we wallow in Christian platitudes and trivialities. We want to avoid theological minimalism. The third problem we can run into is theological pretentiousness. This kind of pedantic quest for biblical knowledge for the sake of knowledge itself. So if you're studying, if you're learning, if you're memorizing scripture, but none of it is leading you to worship God and marvel at the beauty of his perfections and his glorious attributes, we might at that point need to ask ourselves why we're pursuing that knowledge in the first place. Knowledge should lead us into worship, right? A strong theological foundation for the purpose of doxology, of worshiping God. God is our goal, remember that. We need to be centered, focused in Christ. So somewhere between these extremes, and there may be other things too um, that we could think of that can drive us away from the, the kind of knowledge we're called to, but between these extremes of theological vagrancy and theological minimalism and theological pretentiousness, God is calling us back to him. Jesus is inviting us to know him more. See, knowing God is not a very safe or easy thing sometimes. I don't know if we'd really want this prayer over us. I mean, would, would we want this to know God better? You think about back in the Old Testament, entering the Holy of Holies, the high priest going into the Holy of Holies. That was a dangerous thing. I mean, do we really want to know God? Do we want to worship him in that way? Being anointed by God to lead his people, that was not a trivial matter for prophets or kings in the Old Testament. It was a dangerous life. Do we want to know God? 
See, if God gives us the, the spirit of wisdom and revelation to know him better, you might end up on, on the mission field, right? We might end up overcoming our favorite pet sins that we hold on to so tightly. We might be called to self-sacrifice. We might take directions in life that we never thought possible. But see, Paul is so convinced of the excellence of knowing God, this becomes the thing that drives his prayer life for the church. It makes me think of Jeremiah 9, 23 and 24. God says, let not the wise boast in their wisdom, or the strong boast in their strength, or the rich boast in their riches, but let the one who boasts boast about this, that they have the understanding to know me, to know me that I am the Lord who exercises kindness. I was at a missions gathering a few years ago, and I had the privilege of hearing the testimony of a North Korean defector, a man that had uh, lived in North Korea, was able to escape. Uh, he was a Christian man, and he was so hungry to know God, to study the Word of God, that he took the risk of procuring a Bible in a country where owning a Bible was a capital crime. At least the, the penalties are very, very strict. So he was talking about his life in North Korea as a Christian and he told how he had kept this Bible in a secret drawer under his table, a safe place in his house, so nobody would find it, nobody would, would see it. And one day, apparently the police had come in to search his house. I don't know if they found out something about him, they suspected something, but they tore his entire house apart, overturned all the furniture, dug through everything, tore the house to shreds. And after they had left, he went to look for his Bible. It was gone. They could not find it anywhere. At this point, he was getting a little nervous. Of course, you would be nervous in a situation like, like this, considering the, the penalties in, in a country like North Korea. But he heard a knock at the door at one point, and when he went to answer the door, it was one of the police officers who had searched the house. He simply handed him the Bible and said, hide it better next time. Incredible story. Does our hunger and thirst to know God drive us to glorious risk? Does our desire to walk with Christ supersede all else? I think if I were to summarize Paul's prayer to the Ephesians, it would be this, or prayer for the Ephesians, that God would not just be the, the priority, but that he would be our only priority. Not just the first priority, the only priority, that everything else would flow from that. Now, I'd mentioned previously that Paul prays two things for the Ephesian church. First, that, he, that God would give them the spirit of wisdom and revelation. The second thing, in verse 18, is that God would enlighten the eyes of their hearts, open the eyes of their hearts, so Paul wants God to let the Ephesians see him in a new light, to see more than they have seen before, to see him for who he truly is in all his glory. Now, a few years ago, there was an article in the, in the Washington Post. I remember reading about a, a woman who had purchased a box full of knickknacks at a flea market for $7. And in the box was this little painting of a, a kind of riverside scenery, something to that effect, and it wasn't that interesting to her, so she, she left it in the box, took the other items, and just set the box in her, her garage with this little painting in it. It sat there for a couple of years, 
And then one day she decided, just go see if it was worth something to have it evaluated. It turned out it was an authentic Renoir, and it was worth over $100,000. Now imagine this woman began to suddenly see this painting in a new light, right? This thing that was just a knick-knack from a flea market suddenly had beauty, right? It suddenly had tremendous value, tremendous worth. And I think this is what Paul is talking about when he prays for enlightenment of the heart, that we would see God through those new eyes. It's easy to just forget our Lord at times, right? To get tired of looking at the same thing. But here Paul is saying he wants God to make himself known to us in new ways. Illumination of the heart turns on the light so we can see our salvation through new eyes. So in verse 18... Paul references three things we experience when the eyes of our light are, 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 of our heart, sorry, are enlightened. He talks about hope, he talks about inheritance, and he talks about power. So my take on this is that really Paul is, is saying the same thing in three slightly different ways. The hope to which God has called us is the hope of adoption into salvation in Christ as referenced in the previous section. Again, I'm referring back to verses 3 through 14 we looked at last week, that we were, have been adopted into sonship through faith in Jesus Christ by the grace of God, the hope of salvation. Now, the glorious inheritance refers to verses 13 and 14 that we looked at last week. We are sealed with the Holy Spirit of God for the day of redemption, a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance. Again, this is a reference to our salvation and to our eternal resting place. And the incomparably great power to which Paul refers is the power that raised Jesus from the dead, the same power that will raise us from spiritual death into spiritual life. And we will look at that more next week in Ephesians chapter 2. You were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the prince of the power of the air, and so on. So again, this is a reference to our salvation. So in sum, Paul wants us to experience salvation and power to live out that salvation under the authority of Jesus Christ who reigns from the right hand of the Father in heaven. This is the power that's alive in Christ, the power that's alive in Christians, in the church. Paul wants to give us uh, new eyes. He wants God to grant us new eyes to see what we've never seen before, to know the fullness of the power of God. Now, knowledge of God is a particularly important issue, I think, in the church today. Because over the last century or so, there's been a movement in the academy, in academics, that's kind of trickled down into media and into pop culture that has moved us away from the idea of knowledge and more into the, the, the realm of interpretation. And that doesn't seem like necessarily such a bad thing, but this is rather problematic because instead of rooting ourselves in true beliefs that are justified about reality through experiential and even relational knowledge, what's happening is that the emphasis is being put on, on subjective interpretations, personal interpretations of reality. And so what we end up doing is creating truth. Instead of rooting ourselves in truth and attempting to discover truth, we form up into these interpretive communities that attempt to create truth. And it's all rooted in ambiguous criteria. 
So what this means in some cases is that the angriest person or the person who appears to be the most oppressed is justified in their beliefs on the basis of that anger or on the basis of that, that feeling of oppression or, or whatever it might be. And so on this view, fallible interpretive communities end up becoming the arbitrators of truth and knowledge in our society. This is naturalistic, relativistic philosophy. It has nothing to do with scripture. Christians are buying into these philosophies. It's finding its way into the church and it's guiding our way of reading scripture and that's a big problem. We need to be very careful. Now I do and I will say that there are elements of truth at times in some of these philosophies. I will acknowledge that there are times when some of these philosophies address issues that the church has been slow to address or maybe failed to address at times. But I will also say that our ultimate interpretive guidance needs to come from the Holy Spirit and remain rooted in the theological foundations we've been given in God's word. Our interpretations of scripture in the world need to be rooted in a desire to attain knowledge of God, again, for the purpose of worshiping our God. So God wants us to have knowledge of him, to walk with him, to worship Jesus, who ascended to the right hand of the Father, who's been given all power and all authority in this world. And God wants us to know the salvation to which he has called us, the riches of his glorious grace, the inheritance we have received in the Holy Spirit. And we should take comfort in the fact that all of this falls under the authority of Jesus Christ. So let me leave you with this, this morning. When we pray, when we pray, I think we need to start praying maybe more often. I know this applies to me. I need to pray, Lord, help me know you better. Help me know you. Open the eyes of my heart. See, if we know God rightly, we will know ourselves rightly. We have to situate this stuff in the right context. If you understand who God is, you can understand better who you are. You can understand better what the world is around you. So when we pray for ourselves, what if we started to pray, Lord, help me know you better? You see, we often ask God to show us the right way to make decisions, big decisions in life. Should I buy that house? Should I take that job? Should I follow this path in life or that path in life? What should I do? We want to know the future. We want to know the end result. And there's nothing wrong with those prayers to ask for wisdom, to ask for guidance. But what if God doesn't always make it clear? What if God doesn't always show us the future? What if God wants to use those challenges and those difficult decisions to draw us closer to him? What if we started to pray that in the midst of difficult decisions, we would be drawn nearer to him in knowledge, in wisdom, when we pray for our children, what do we often pray? Lord, protect them. Lord, watch over them. Lord, keep them safe at school. And these are good prayers. Continue to pray for your children in this way. But what if we added something to that? What if we prayed for our kids, Lord, let them know you above all else. Lord, let my children see you. Open the eyes of their hearts. When we pray for our church, we often pray against the devil's attacks. Please continue to do that. Keep praying that prayer, but don't forget that the Holy Spirit is also at work. See, when a church is experiencing challenges and we're experiencing challenges in our lives, let's not give the devil too much credit. 
Because sometimes it's actually the Holy Spirit working, cleansing, purifying, exposing sin, building us up. And that can be an uncomfortable thing at times. Our prayer as a church should be this, Lord, let us know you, open the eyes of our hearts, draw us to you in faith, root us in the foundations you've given us in your word, that we would be God-centered, Christ-centered, cross-centered people. Let's make this our prayer. Lord, open the eyes of my heart.